<clears throat> All right, we are recording. Um, give us, give us your best intro to season two of the Stab Cast. Is this season two? This is season two. This is season two. All right. And welcome to season two of Stab Cusp. That is the currently still totally untitled surf podcast. I am Michael Saramella here with my co-host Stace Galbraith um, all the way in Australia. Stace, how you doing? Mikey, I'm doing good, mate. It feels good to be back. It's, uh, it's been a while and uh, the time zone differences have just been killing us, but luckily we haven't had anything too dramatic to talk about until this week. It's all happening. The boys yeah. and girls are back. Oh my God. Pro surfing. This whole podcast started um, just based on the premise of talking really granularly about competitive surfing. And then we, we lost it. We fell off the rails. You had like three kids and here we are. We're back. <laughs> we're back now. Yeah. Um, tell me, did you, did you miss it? Um, okay. I think on my day to day, I didn't really miss it that much. But now that it's like actually becoming a reality again, I'm super excited for it. But it wasn't something that I like felt like, oh man, 2020 sucked because we didn't have pro surfing, I guess. That's kind of how I felt. How about you? Yeah, for sure. Same boat. Like I didn't actually think I even cared about it anymore until I saw like all everyone's social media, particularly from Honolulu Bay, like light up again. And it was that first swell of the Hawaiian winter you know, um, a few free surf clips out of pipe and stuff. And that really got the, really got the blood flowing. And maybe that big carve that John John put on his Instagram, just the one mm. big, like, I don't even back foot, front foot, absolute hammer turn that, that got me kind of pretty fired up again. So there was a few little moments that, yeah, definitely stoked the fire. And seeing uh, some sizable swell in the way is also like a really just, I mean, you just start your, I don't know, your mind starts turning about who, what, when, where, and why. And yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome now that we're back. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Yeah. And it's pretty cool. We're going to go straight into arguably one of the most exciting heats in professional surfing history, Mikey V. Leo. I think there's two parts to this. Have you seen that get blown up much at all? No, I have not seen the WSL promoting this whatsoever, which is interesting and strange to me. I don't know if they're using it as like this little pocket ace that they're going to pull out and whatever. But yeah, no, the, I haven't seen anything. It's it, To me, it's more exciting than the event winner in a way, but less exciting. Is this exciting for sure than, happening? Than, yeah, that's what I've heard. Like three heats, 30-minute heats. I don't know if they're all going to happen in one day or back-to-back or maybe two heats, a break, and then another heat. I have no idea, but it's it's right up there with one of the biggest decisions we'll ever see in the year, you know? Like, it's massive deal. It's one of these guys' careers on the line. Most, most of their contracts are based on being on tour or off tour. So there's huge financial implications for most surfers when it comes to being on or off tour. And if they make it, they're going to have a really busy start of the year. And if they don't make it, they'll end up back in, like, their regional tour trying to qualify for the challenger series. Yeah. Um, that's a lot of pressure, <laughs> but the good thing is that, or at least like putting myself into their kind of psyche, the good thing is that it's at a wave like pipe where there's not 
really like jitters in the sense of your performance like there's jitters maybe in terms of like the waves could be scary but it's not like you feel like you need to be there you know like a week in advance surfing like a hundred waves a day just trying to like get really confident it's like at pipe you know the wave shows up you take off as deep as you can and try to come out the other end like it's pretty straightforward i guess yeah and on that i think that favors like mikey because he's not he's not you know known for being a, a very you know strategy is not at the top of his list he's much more a performance-based surfer whereas i think leo he, he'd be happy to sit on someone for 29 minutes and then catch a wave and win the heat so i think that kind of you know it's going to be interesting to see i, I totally agree it's, it's you, you're versing the ocean not not really a competitor out there so yeah who you got let's dip in you know i think the obvious answer would be mikey just because of how adept he is kind of in like and just kind of like fearless and raw like we saw him at the strati event getting tube like yeah when it was perfect but to me it was more impressive that he was getting tube when it was you know on shore like i think in the final he got like a freaking eight foot on shore double up that he was like somehow knifed under the lip like that is just like kind of a different level of one like wave knowledge and ocean reading and also obviously just pure surfing ability but Leo's also like sneaky, pretty freaking gnarly. Like, I don't know if you remember a couple years back, he went to Ireland and he got this one wave at that Eileen's joint where he was like, he was on a little board, first of all. I think most guys ride like, you know, seven, eight foot boards and it looked like he was on like a six, six. And he was on the ledge rather than on the chip shot. And he just took off so late and just knifed it. Like, I don't know. I think we think of Leo as kind of this uh, really like clean cut, kind of like a, Kanoa type that like grew up just kind of having some things like handed to him a little bit but like he's really gnarly like he'll go and he knows how to ride the tube 100 percent. it's actually a really i think even 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 match up but who are you gonna go i would prefer to see mikey on tour so i'm gonna be rooting for him not that i don't like leo but if you know it's do or die it's gun to your head i'm picking mikey sweet yeah, but I hear what you're saying. I agree. I, I mean, I'm on I'm on the Mikey camp. I don't think I really have to explain that too much. Got to got to back the Aussie. Uh, also, a neighbour lives around the corner, and he's a he's a he's a bloody legend. Looks after all the kids around here, and see him most days. He's a bloody legend. So I'd be frothing to see him a full year on tour. Um, but on a performance base, like with the with the season that looks like it's stacking up with how the waves are going to be. You know what, though? They're both as mad as cut snakes. They'll both swing and go on anything that comes their way. Um, I'm just kind of going to get behind Mikey on this one. He's coming off a win in the regional series over here, which, um, you know, one of those events at Stratty was a fairly decent warm-up. It's definitely not as, you know, South Stratty's a heavy wave, but it's not as heavy as, you know, backdoor pipe. But watching him win there and watching him find that rhythm was was pretty cool. So... Yeah, I'm fingers crossed that that, uh, that he can pull it off and then I get to watch him for, yeah, the rest of the year as well. And as much as this is a big deal and I'm sure feels like do or die to both of these guys, regardless of who wins and who loses, like they're both at such a caliber that, you know, yeah, one of them is going to be on the QS this year, but they'll be back on tour next year, like almost 100%, I would say. Like they're both so kind of at the very, very top of that QS and like, kind of verging middle to top of the CT skill level wise yeah. as well. So I don't think they should beat themselves up if you know that they're not the one who walks away um, winner yeah. of this little duel, 
because they'll be back for sure. Um, but for it's sure. going to be freaking exciting. And and are they able to run this? Like, does that have to be in the contest window, or can they just run that at some point, over, like during the big day, for instance? No, they'd have to run it before the comp. In in just logically thinking about it, I don't. I have, like I said, I haven't seen anything, so I don't know for sure. But I'm sure they've got a plan. But just in my head, playing it out. They'd have to run it before the comp started so that they, because they're getting the year on tour, so they got to start in the event. Yeah, okay. And and then also the, so the, basically, for anyone who hasn't looked at a swell map, um, a huge swell hits Hawaii the day before pipe starts and then, you know, carries over a bit for the next, like, two days. So it seems like that Tuesday will be the first day that they run and they have to do trials, right? Yeah, yeah, they'll run the trials, uh, the local trials on the first day. Okay, so that'll probably take, that usually takes like most of the day, doesn't it? If not the whole day. Yeah, it's a full day. And unlike other events around the world, the trials isn't actually listed in the event waiting period. Whereas for Pipe, it's different. They don't run the trials the day before the waiting period starts. The waiting period starts with the trials. So, um, yeah, it's not not a new thing. That's always sort of been that way in Hawaii. Certainly, or certainly the last couple of years. Um, but it is a it is an interesting one, particularly when you're looking at these forecasts and you're like, uh, you know, if it was anywhere else in the world, they just the trials run the day before the event, no matter what it's like. But that's not not the case there, and just fair enough that the trials are stacked with like you know 32 of the best guys, you know. Yeah, in, in and Hawaii. it sucks to lose a day with the CT guys, but. There's also some more swell, it seems like, on the back end as well. So mm. it's it kind of looks – it actually reminds me a bit of, like, last year's forecast, which looked really good on paper and then ended up being, like, kind of, like, iffy when it actually came to it. Like, uh, the swells, like, never really hit how they were supposed to. So hopefully yeah. this year we get, like, properly, properly pumping pipe. Yeah. I think it's going to be fun at the very least, but we yeah. obviously – and okay, so that brings me to just kind of like a general point. How do you feel now about the season starting at Pipe? Like, are you as excited about it or does it take some of the luster away because there's not really anything riding on it? No, there's actually a lot riding on it because the person who wins the first event of the year, the stat is huge for them to go on and win the title. So it is still has bigger implications i think i'd be more devoted if pipe was like the fourth event i I think it's cool if it's the first or the last i prefer it to be the last but that's just what we've been dealt this year so you know cop cop it and roll with it but i think having it as the first event is the next best thing to it being the finale you know being on a gold coaster and growing up as a kid and watching the pros come to town it's i don't know whether it's like they actually got better in the break or you just it's perceived that way because you haven't seen them surfing for maybe three months or so. And now this year, because we haven't seen them surfing for, you know, or consistently surfing, then there's been some special events here and there for more or less the whole year. Like everyone might come in twice as good as they did last year. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like everyone comes out of the gates pretty red hot. So it's going to be interesting one for, Um, those people that like to warm into the season, like Gabriel, for instance, he's, I don't think he's going to do that. He, he's, he'll be, he'll be, he, this is not a, this is not a test run. And I also think that pipe opens up a new level of opportunity for um, rookies. 
to me, Snapper has got to be one of the hardest events to come into as a rookie because it is so like performance oriented and there's so many like tactics to it. Like, and it's so much wave knowledge. And like, I mean, I know like Griffin had a good first go at it. Um, you know, going way back, like Chris Ward had a good first go at it. I think Josh Kerr might have it as well, but to me going into an event where you got to do eight turns on a wave is a lot harder than going into an event where you have to just pull into a big tube a bunch of times, especially when, I mean, and I know that this is kind of like the exception and not the rule, but like Jack Robinson, right? Like he's got to be looking at this. Like if I'm not in the top three leaving Hawaii, I've failed miserably. And so we all know his barrel riding is, you know, literally top three in the world like undebatably if not number like the best tube rider like maybe ever um at pipe he's obviously won the vulcan pipe pro he's only actually been in the pipe masters once which surprised me like i for some reason i would have thought that he would have made it through the trials a few more times with billabong um and he actually did pretty poorly in the main event when he did that but obviously he hasn't had like the craziest track record out there but he's also just to me, he's too good not to make like at least a quarterfinal. He's had a pretty good check record. He won the pipe trials and he's won the Vulcan pipe pro. Like they're two, the, the pipe trials is a proper event win. It's not, it's not any old trials. Like it's not, a, it's a, it's a large draw. It's a long day. You got to surf maybe four heats, I think to win it, maybe five. It's yeah. So he's won two events that's out there in the, in the last couple of years in my eyes. And that's, that's a hard, hard thing to do. It's a difficult, difficult, difficult wave. So, do you remember the wave that he rode to win the pipe trial? Yeah. The one wave, the, the frothy, ugly, like didn't even look like it was like barreling and he was like way too deep. And like, when I saw that, I was like, there must've been the smallest margin of error. Cause the barrel itself wasn't like very big. It was like a decent sized mm. wave, but he just like, I don't know his, uh, I don't even know. It's not, it's not, I mean, it is wave knowledge, but it's more just like his ability to like read and, you know, finally maneuver and like find these little pockets in the two. Like it, he's just kind of like a really like a preternatural talent. Yeah, he, he certainly is. And it's going to be, gonna be cool but I, I like your point earlier about like being a rookie and um your potential it's sort of hard to say but i know what you mean like you you might like let's use solly bailey for example like it, he's not on tour this year but like last year rookie year had it pretty tough until he got to pipe which he had no chance of requalifying um it was big and ugly and i think solly made a heat or two of two or three, sorry. And he looked so confident. Like he was just whatever. Whereas starting the year, he sort of had to find his feet, figure out his boards and what turns he wanted to do where. Whereas if you came out of Hawaii with like a ninth at five and started your year, it's that confidence you take out of that would, would be so, so good. So yeah, it's yeah there's be, so much interesting thinking involved on the like wave, like snapper. There's just so much thinking and like learning that has to be done ahead of time not that there's not learning that has to be done at pipe you know like it's a tricky lineup and everything but ultimately once you get on that wave there's no more thinking you know mm. like you're just going well, it's, 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 um, it's positioning at the takeoff if you're if you're one of those characters who doesn't mind having a crack basically the opposite of me and you you position yourself behind the peak or on the peak and you know your skills will take over from that point 
Whereas like snapper, like you're saying, to link five huge turns together is exceptionally difficult, unless it's barreling snapper. So, um, yeah. okay, so, yeah, uh, what else do we got with Pipe? Like, who, I mean, the obvious people are Medina, who's made three of the last five finals out there. Mm. Like you said before, is there going to be that early season kind of, you know, slowly getting into it for him? Or is it just going to be like, oh, this is, I own this wave. Of course, I'm going to go out and make the final again. Um, Italo, defending world champ, John Florence, John Florence, Kelly Slater's Kelly Slater. Like, where's your mind at? Well, I'm pretty stoked to see John get, like we spoke about this in one of the early episodes, like he, he got an extra six months or maybe maybe more um, to really rehab that knee. Um, I thought in the, the comp last year, like he looked scary injured. Like it was, I know he wanted to make the Olympics, but it looked like he was actually surfing on one leg. So to see him take, you know, potentially more time off and basically probably not surf after that event for a little while and really get the knee right, um, pretty pretty frothing to see him at uh, at full flight, and then I'm a huge Gabby fan, and I don't think that he's um he's not going to have a world title hangover because he didn't win, so I think he's going to be fired up. Um, and then Italo just seems like you just can't bother him. Like he 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 just goes out and catch. Like I don't know, how do you stop Italo? He just goes out and catches a million waves and is dropping an eight at some point guaranteed mm. yeah he he is just such an authentic surfer isn't he like he didn't stop surfing from his title win to now doing huge airs back again off the wall left so it's like he never really like covid didn't really affect him <laughs> oh my god and the way he like he moved like he was in portugal he surfed 100 foot nazare mm. he obviously he went to the maldives he was all over Freaking, he went back to Hawaii after his world title last year. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, he just fucking loves it. And he kept surfing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm like thinking that the, we're pretty, like the top three, four, they're looking pretty finely tuned. Um, what about the underdogs? Who, who you got that's going to, um, you know, who's, who's your dark horse? I mean, Ace Buck? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, on that, I'm not sure that Ace is going to go. Really? Yeah, I, 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 um, I think he's got some family commitments, and I think a few of the surfers are kind of in that boat. Um, I guess we'll find out once the once the event actually starts. But I certainly know, like, a few of the coaches can't go or aren't going. Decided not to go just because they how they looked at starting the year with um, with America into Portugal when kind of all tickets were getting booked and plans were being made, it was like, well, it's a long, long trip. Um, and then they dropped Portugal, obviously, um, but it's still a exceptionally long time. So your boy Ace, from what I've heard, might not be making an appearance, which I can understand that. Like he's got three kids and a young family. So it's, um, yeah, I'm sure he's not the only surfer that's, heavily considering you know either you're not not going or, or or hasn't gone okay well i have a few thoughts on this um first of all who else is on that list um i think there's another surfer expecting a child um in january don't really want to divulge too much information there because i kept that pretty quiet on social media but um 
yeah, from my knowledge, there's going to be two that aren't going. And I heard Julian was really close to not going as well, but he's there now with his filmer and coach. Um, he's he's getting ready to rumble. But yeah, I think a, a lot of the international surfers with the young families were weighing up their options heavily. Uh, am I correct in assuming that the unnamed surfer is Australian? Yes. Okay, so then here's my kind of thought. and. and let me know if I'm being overly critical, but mm. since the dawn of professional surfing, as we know it, or as I remember it, hang on, you reckon, started, you reckon we're chucking, you reckon the Aussies are chucking a wobbly, they're having a bit of a silk. <laughs> They've had the start, the first three events of the season. I mean, maybe we threw Indo in there a couple of times, but like it's been in that part of the world for, you know, everybody was in that part of the world for two months plus mm. for the past 20 years. And now it's like, Oh, Oh no, we have to leave Australia. I don't know. It doesn't sound that fun. Yeah, look, there might be a little bit of that in there. I'm probably guilty of that um, from a from a coaching perspective. But from a government perspective, which you know, the, the laws are changing every day in every country, so it's sort of hard to keep up with. But there's, there's, to my knowledge, twenty or thirty thousand Australian citizens still still looking to return back to Australia. And um, hotel quarantine across the country is only allowing like 3,000 a week or something. Like now, in, sports in across stars, the entire country, only 3,000 people can get a I hotel believe, room to quarantine? I believe so. Well, maybe that was just Queensland. Like I said, I haven't kept up to date with exactly where the laws are at. But basically, there's a, a, a big deficit of people wanting to return and beds available. Or, you know, because each state has its own laws as well. So, um, it's a funny one, like maybe there's a little lack in confidence there of, of actually being able to return home when they wish. Now the WSL, I know they've behind the scenes employed their own travel agencies and stuff like that to try and keep everyone, you know, safe and together and travel as a group. So they're obviously going to do their best to get everyone home and stuff like that. Um, but it just seems like a bit of a hard time in the world where if you were, you know, hoping to come home on a certain date after being away for three months and that got pushed back even further, um, you know, you'd obviously be, you know, sure that'd be crossing some people's minds. It'd have to yeah, be. Like, absolutely. you know, it's just so much uncertainty in the world at the moment. If you were single or it was just you and your missile and, you know, you could just jump on a plane, head over and post up in Hawaii and if you got stuck there for, you know, three, four months, whatever, not a, not a big deal. You'd probably be stoked. But if you went solo and had a family to come home to and for whatever reason couldn't get home, um yeah because australia is one of the strictest countries with with this whole thing at the moment certainly yeah, a lot okay. stricter than old than the old you know land of the brave and free united states <laughs> <laughs> yeah that is uh well hopefully we're having a regime change and i think that we'll start to see some more logical platforms rolled out in that regard but this is not a political podcast so I do understand. It, 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 it I, could be, but we just get DMs saying don't go political. So yeah, well, maybe we should listen to the customers. Um, but yeah, I get it. And you know, obviously, I was being a bit cheeky, calling out the Australians <laughs> or whatever. But yeah, uh, but it makes sense. I mean, yeah, it's it's. I I don't have a kid. You have a kid. I'm sure you can uh like really empathize with what actually the reality of leaving you you know yeah. and your partner as well, who then is left to to actually care for the kid. And, 
and then you miss them on top of it. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I've only got one. Like the people that are that are in question here, like Ace, I think. I mean, like I said, it's just what I've heard, but I think he's got three kids, so that's a whole nother ball back, a whole nother ballpark. Like, so yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see. That but is he a whole nother ball bag. He, <laughs> 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 yeah, that was a good one, Stace. Um, he would be a good dark horse, though. Who's your real dark horse? Good. Um, I mean. The name I'm about to say is sounds absurd because he's won two pipe masters, but uh, just based on his, I guess, position in the overall rankings, like I think Jeremy Flores still kind of comes in under the radar a little bit. Mm, for sure. Like he's, he's always kind of, not always, he, he's had some definite years where he was like at the you know, top 10 or whatever, but like he's always kind of in that like middle of the pack, it seems like. And then mm. I just can't imagine seeing that guy in my draw, I'd just be like, oh my God, that is, that's like the, almost the worst guy you could draw. Like he, cause he, you know, he has some heats where he doesn't quite put it together, but he's really, really likely to drop a nine at any given time. And yeah, he's just kind of like scary to me. Like he'd be the surfer. I'd just be most scared to surf against like with, For sure. with Gab, you know what you're going to get. Itzel, you know what you're going to get. Jeremy could just put up a like, flogging. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Jeremy's definitely under the radar. He could go 18 points or two points, and that's kind of exciting to me. You never know what you're going to get. Yeah. Uh, uh, how about you? Oh, I don't know who I got. Oh, I'm just like trying to like not think about it too hard. Um, I think Miguel Pupo qualified. I'm going to go Miguel. Just because that one wave he got? Yep. Just because that one wave he got. And he's got to he's got to pray for another yeah chip in ten. Um, nah, he's got a six style, and I like it. I like I like the way he surfs. So, um, yeah, we'll see how we go. It's weird because like I just I mean I don't fuck. It's been so long since I've actually thought about this stuff that I obviously should know this stuff because it's my job too. But am I right in thinking that there's not actually that many like true rookies coming in? Like there's not many new faces, like pretty much everyone. Uh, you, we are, we already seen them on tour. You're right. Um, again, I, I'm probably going to miss someone here. So sorry to that person who's worked their ass off to qualify. And I can't even remember your name, but guys like Ethan and Connor, they've been on tour before. So they kind of do feel like rookies. Cause we didn't see like a lot of them, but they're not that, you know, they've had a crack. Um, it's Morgan, Maddie McGilvray, that's it. Um, is that it? I'm looking at the list. Right. There's only two rookies. <laughs> That's fine. Oh, Jack was like, Robinson. Oh, fuck, yeah. <laughs> Whoops. He doesn't feel like a rookie either, though. He, nah, he, he doesn't feels feel like, like he should have been on tour for yeah. two years at least. Um, for sure. But, um, and yeah, okay. So, so rookie, rookie of the year, that's for me a no-brainer, Jack Robinson. If he doesn't win rookie of the year, he should just quit and start making movies because I don't think competing is for him. He's too competitive. Um, but no, he, he'd he try and qualify yeah. again and just fucking destroy everyone. Um, but um, yeah, it's um, yeah, and again, it's like you talk about dark horses. Like Jack Robinson's not a dark horse. He's a rookie, but he's not a dark horse. Not can't even pick, can't close. can't pick him as much. Oh, Adrian okay, DeRose. I have a dark horse. Uh, Adriano de Souza. Also weird because he won a pipe masters and a world championship, but he yep. is a dark horse at pipe. He is really, really good out there. Hundred percent. Yeah, I'll t- I'll take that on board. Um, let's move over to ladies. Who's winning Honolulu Bay? Ooh, okay. So that pipe that, or sorry, that swell that they're not going to get the surf at pipe. They will get the surf at Honolulu, yep. um, which is awesome. They're going to get like, you know, some of the better wave, not as good as that one year, like two years ago or whatever it was when it was brown and just 
heaving eight to 10 foot tubes, but it's going to be really, really good. Um, and God, I don't know, like it's, it's so boring, but it's going to be Chris or Steph, right. At the end of the day, like they're just, I mean, I know that you, you kind of have a dog in the race, so it's maybe you have different feelings, but they are just so like statistically dominant and just even watching them on the wave. It just seems like a no brainer. For sure. I would love to see Malia break through and get a win. And I think that's her top spot to do it, given her results, because behind those two, she's the most consistent at either making the final or getting a third and getting in the runner up to one of those two. So I know she would love to win, but you're right. Statistically, those two are, um, they're, you know, they're exceptional. out there. They set the benchmark. So yeah, we'll, um, see how that rolls but yeah the, the swells looking really good the directions looking really good it's a really really interesting setup when you when you look at it like the the island chain that that blocks that blocks the break it needs to be a perfect kind of west from the west and it that swells looking like that so hopefully um you know hopefully it gets through and um we'll see like pretty firing um on little bay what about a dark horse Oh, that's got to be Betty Lou. Uh, yep, oh, I agree. She is, for anybody who doesn't know, Betty Lou Sakura Johnson. She is, I believe, from Oahu. She is 15 years old, and she does turns about as powerful as most of the women on tour. Um, she put up some clips last year from Haleiwa that just absolutely blew my mind. Like, mm. like I mean, I hate to use this uh like gendered term because i think it's a little bit antiquated but she's doing like man turns out at haliva and just throwing so much water and she has so much confidence and also just great technique like it's kind of everything rolled into one to me Mm. when i see her surf i like i'm pretty much convinced that she's going to be a world champion one day like she's too good and too powerful to and too confident to not it was you who wrote that caption it was me she's yeah yeah, she's she's phenomenal yeah, and her her ability to like read and ride the barrel is next level. For for you know, she's really a part of that generation of girls that's leading the way. I think they are all on that same. Oh my god, that was next level. Can we just that was talk about that for a second, man? Like, yeah, what's going on there? That was what that was a that was happened? a new that was a new, that was a new level straight up okay. from fifteen year olds yeah not even most of them are like younger than that and just like to me i haven't seen really a singular or a group of and maybe that's due to whatever competitive factors but like i just haven't seen ct women going and getting waves of that caliber at any consistent level like maybe once a year you'll see tati Mm -hmm. or carissa go to chopo or you know, Tyler got a crazy one at cloud break that one year, but like on a consistent level, these girls are packing big, scary, reefy tubes and they're tiny and 13 years old. Like that, that one group of girls made a bigger leap in progression for women than has happened in my entire life by like five times. Like I, what they've done this year. And then you add the pool stuff to it and all the airs. And it's like, this is, I don't know. <laughs> this is what we've all been saying. It's like girls can a hundred percent do this stuff. They just have to do it. And these girls are doing it. It's amazing. And for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, um, you can actually go watch the first episode of stab high, which features the ladybirds, who are basically the, the girls that we're talking about right now just absolutely charging in Indo. They're surfing that wave bank vaults about 
you know, as big as you'd want to surf it, probably bigger than Stace and I would want to surf it and just absolutely charging. Um, and the rest of the series, obviously, is it's, it's meant to be about airs and um, that's kind of the focus. But the girls just got such good waves that it felt silly not to include that in the show. So Stace, did you actually get to watch um, the first episode? I did not. I'm a bad, bad surf enthusiast. All right, well, dickhead, fucking go watch it after this. But mm. basically, this is oh. our third iteration of Stab High, and it's completely different. The other two were obviously at Waco in the pool. It was a, a new kind of format and contest over there, but here we've actually brought it first and foremost to the ocean, biggest obvious change. And um, yeah, I guess the format technically is kind of the same as Waco. It's you basically have, you know, the span of 10 days on a boat trip in the Mentawise to land the best possible air that you can on a right and a left. Um, to us, it was like really important that guys can go both ways. Like to me, you know, there are some people who have just a stellar forehand or a stellar backhand, but to be a really truly great surfer in any capacity, whether it's barrel riding turns, whatever, like you need to be able to go both ways. So yeah, we're going to basically put 11 guys on a boat and four girls on a separate boat and they're going to go about their way and just basically try to touch the sky and hopefully bring one down or two, bring two down. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be sick. I can't wait to, yeah, actually watch it. Um, but yeah, I like the, I like the thing of having the left and the right, uh, you know, I think variety, in the modern criteria is actually super underrated. So, or underscored actually. Um, it's not underrated. I think it's underscored. Like I'd always prefer a guy who in a 30 minute heat gets a score, like say France or Portugal or something can do it both ways. I think that should hold a lot more weight. Yes. Agreed. Um, and also like, I mean, I don't know. And not to say that this wasn't amazing because it was, but like, if you look back at each of those win at Portugal last year, I think I think they surfed maybe three or four heats in the final day. And mm. I think it was like five of his six counting scores, if he had three heats, were from the mm. same backside air reverse. Yep. And it's like, it's amazing, especially the 10 that he got. Like, it's it's incredible. But at what point are you just doing the same thing over and over again? Like, at what point is it, you know, just not really mm. it? Yeah. I think... Um... From memory, he probably would have won every heat anyway, even if you were kind of like making some kind of consideration for variety because like he was just so dominant and consistent with landing in his airs. But there was one heat, and I've spoken about it before, that he had with Jack where Jack got a pretty sick pit and did a straight air after the barrel and he just fell on the air, but he needed like a 10.2 or something. He was comboed, but not by much. And I just think like if he had had that, the two scoring waves, it would have been two backside airs versus a barrel and a straight air versus um, something else. can't remember what it was. might've been a backside barrel. Um, like to me, that just should be way better. Should, should, that should be the heat. So yeah, yeah. Uh, that's cool. It'd be cool to see who can, who can pull it off. That one Insta clip of um, Nathan Fletcher is absolutely tap and old bones. Like trying to land that thing. Holy Christ. Yeah, how's that? He he comes on the uh, on the boat as a quote unquote judge. You know, he's he's obviously like an icon of the sport for so many different reasons and so many different facets of surfing. Um, and he comes on as like an authority figure on airs, obviously. 
and he you know he he could easily just rest on his legacy and sit on the boat and drink beers all day but first of all he's pretty much got like the best rig on the entire boat out of a bunch of 20 year old men who should be strapping but somehow he just comes out looking all ripped and buff and then he goes out and does a bigger air than every single person out there like it's just yeah yeah it's it's insane he is an absolute um inspiration yeah yeah how old is he I don't want to get this wrong, but I think that he is a little bit younger than Kelly. I would put him yeah. at maybe like 46. Okay, I was kind of thinking 44. You could be right. Um, yeah, I don't, but, I don't actually know. Just okay, guess. can I also tell you just how much of a, a legend Nathan is? So he, last yeah. year, uh, I was in Hawaii doing my stupid job whatever stupid shit that i do my bunker for the pickup and you know like just generally being an idiot and that swell popped up that would be the jaws mega swell and this was after the women's event had run so they weren't going to be an issue and i basically saw a window of opportunity to finally get my dream session at honolulu bay so uh my friend Miles and I, who were both staying at the Stab House, um, we basically booked tickets to fly over super early that morning and, um, yeah, just basically get to surf a wave that we dreamed of for years. So we get to the airport. It's, like, still dark out. It's probably like 5 a.m. or something like that. And we get there, and Nate's just smoking a little ciggy in the tiny little airport parking lot. Just like, yeah, it's just like, whoa, sick. Like, I, you know. Nate, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And we talked to him about like, you know, Jaws. And he's like, yeah, like, you know, I, I did that. I feel like that part of my career, like I don't really need to like chase that anymore. Like it's, it's not really what I want to do. I don't feel like it's what I need to be doing. And it was just like really like introspective and cool for him to be that like open about it. And he's like, yeah, I just want to go get good waves. I don't want to feel like I need to die every time I go surfing. Mm. Um, so anyway, we're, we're trying to load up into the plane and we are, Literally, it's my myself, Miles, and Nathan, and maybe one other person, and they're not a surfer. But the plane that we're going on is so small that they tell us that my boards and Miles' boards are not going to fit. And so we're like, like, what? What do you mean? Like, we're we're going to surf Honolulu. You're telling us we can't bring any surfboards. And they're like, yeah, sorry, there's no more space in the in the the underbelly or whatever. And like, oh my god. So we, you know, we're like, what are we going to do? Blah blah blah. And um, basically this whole thing is a long winded way of saying that Nathan literally took his boards out of the plane. He had, he had a board bag with three boards in it, took his boards out, took two boards, put them back in his car. And it's like, you guys each chuck a board in. And we were like, Oh my God, you gotta be kidding me. Like we felt so bad, but also just we're so grateful that he was just that generous toward us. And um yeah we went there and the saddest most depressing part and it's still like i feel so bad about it is he broke his board when we were over there um and he you know he 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 obviously knows a lot of people there so he got a loaner board or whatever but it's still the idea that like this guy basically gave us the shirt off his back you know metaphorically speaking and then we basically just like ripped it to shreds so (laughs) sorry nathan but thank you (laughs) That's such a sick story. What an absolute legend. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. That's the kind of like, um, person he is. I just, that story sounds so ridiculous that I just want to clarify that all of that could have been done 
um, in that time frame, like unloading the plane and taking that and putting it back in the car. Cause I've actually done that flight before and I actually bought a ticket for the wrong year. Uh, and I rolled up to the desk and I'm like, Oh, I'm on this plane. They're like, no, 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 you're not. And I was like, Oh, they're like, Oh, well, there's no one on it. Like you can just get on. <laughs> it's the tiniest <laughs> little like terminal three thing there on Honolulu oh. airport. And you park your car pretty much right next to the plane. He was probably smoking his quote unquote Siggy right next to the, fuel pump like, <laughs> as the thing was getting like ready to roll yeah it's a uh, very strange this is the to flight there. to this is the flight to the like uh Moloc- or no not molokai uh, Mok- but the airport Mok- that's right Mok- by Mok- mokuleli or whatever it is the airline the one that's right by honolua not the main maui one so like yeah mm, you're taking yeah. off in an airport terminal that's not even attached really to the it's like honolua a shed. main one yeah. yeah it's a shed it's literally a shed <laughs> yeah uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was it was it was a trip. Um, windiest passage of airspace in the world, I'm led to believe. How was your How was your flight over? White knuckles. Ours was gorgeous. No, it was beautiful. Just sunrise. Got to see like the swell moving in. Like we, were, I think we were pretty much going the same direction as the swell. And we just saw these beautiful corduroy lines kind of following us there and. It was really exciting and the waves ended up being incredible and i basically uh watched everybody else get really really barreled for yeah 10 i was hours. gonna was, say you might have been better off going when the uh the ladies comp was actually on and just surfing that half an hour on dark because the locals don't bother with it um speaking of hawaiian it would be remiss of us not to um pay our condolences to one two one two mr john schmooker um who recently passed away here in australia so thoughts to all of um yeah, John's friends and family and, um, you know, the greater surfing community. He's such a legend. Early days out here in Australia, he had a, a management business and looked after a lot of the, that sort of, you know, noughties generation of pro surfing from, you know, the early 2000s to the, you know, early 2010s. Laura Enova, Jack Freestone, Mitch Cruz, like he helped sort of shape those guys. And then he sold that business and moved on to other things. But yeah, he had a huge impact Um here in australia with kind of my generation a lot of my friends and it was just an absolute legend so yeah it's definitely a sad sad time for a lot of people here and yeah just uh, hope everyone's getting through it okay i just realized like it's been so long since we've talked and there's been so many changes in just the wsl's general like structure and everything that their plans for 2021 essentially mm. should we just like go over <laughs> what is going to happen if we can even remember like just so that we have it in place and people can be like oh yeah that's how the world tour is going to work this year yeah for sure hopefully we can get it right <laughs> <laughs> all right so here's what i think i know um the wsl is going to be cut into three different tiers of tour so at the top you obviously have the world tour championship tour that's where the top 34 men and 16, 18 women are. That runs from December right now until September when they're going to have that final event at Lowers, which they've officially announced. Now, in order to get onto the tour next year, you have to qualify through either one or two of the lower tiers. So if you're starting at like a low point in the QS, like you don't have a lot of points from 2019 or 2020, then you start on the regional tour. So Australians will compete against Australians, Americans, Americans, Brazilians, whatever. And if you do well enough in the regional tour, which runs concurrently with the CT in the front half of 2021, you will then qualify to get on to the 
what's it called again? Challenger Challenge, Series. Challenger Series, yeah. Yeah, okay. So regional tour, you do well there, you get onto the Challenger Series. Then the Challenger Series starts just after the world tour ends so the world tour ends in september challenger series starts in also september or maybe october the idea is that the best surfers from the regional tour and the worst surfers from the ct will meet the guys who are already kind of qualified through their qs points and it will be the best non-ct surfers competing on the challenger series to try to get onto the 2022 world tour um, all of this sounds really convoluted. We, I probably haven't done a great job of explaining it, but essentially you've got to work your way up. And even if you fall off tour in 2021, you can get back on in that same year without having to chase QS events at the same time that you're chasing the CT, which is the main reason that they made the change. Cause there were guys like basically just nonstop chasing contests all over the world all the time. This allows the CT surfers to, if they requalify through the CT, have a four-month break, basically, which is really nice. And if they don't, then they have to get to work and earn their spot back in the back half of the year. And meanwhile, if you're coming from a lower kind of level in the QS, you can work your way through those regional tours, get onto the Challenger Series, and earn your way up to the CT. Um, so, yeah, that's it. And pretty much um, it. The tricky you know what, part, which... I can butcher butch my way through it again is like, how do you take the results that have already occurred and then apply them to a regional aspect? So I actually haven't spoken to Dumpy about this, but without looking at the ratings, he's currently 10th on the QS that doesn't really carry over anymore from what I'm led to believe, but what will happen is that he would be at the top of his pile for his region. So he might be the Got number it. one. And then they take to them to get into the next year's challenger series. They take maybe the top six from the America region. And there might be four or five events before that cutoff. And he's already in first position. So he's kind of got a head start, but it still was not going to really help him get on tour for the following year. If that makes sense. Right. Okay. Another question. So, uh are, are you able to carry regional series points to your um challenger series like total that would help you qualify to the ct like say you won three regional events and they were all worth three thousand points or whatever can yeah. you use those in your like champion or not champion in your challenger series like what if you keep five events from that or whatever like, can you put regional scores into your challenger series scores oh. I don't know. Let me send a text right now and hopefully before this podcast ends, we'll have an answer. Oh, I just got the text about the uh, regional stuff. There's still debate about whether or not you keep your points from the regional tour and put it into the Challenger Series tour. Some people think you should start fresh. Other people think that you should keep the points. But ultimately, it will depend on how many Challenger Series events there are. And that makes perfect sense to me. If there's only a few, then I reckon they'll just let everyone keep their points. But if there was like a legit Challenger Series tour where there was like seven or eight events, start fresh, go again. There's also a question. <laughs> this is, this is kind of gnarly. Is 3,000 points in South Africa the same as 3,000 points in Australia? Ooh, 
that is a really good point. Should we do like, a, should there be a conversion rate like there is for for the dollar? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> the South Africans already get reamed enough. We won't, Paul Berwick and the boys, mate. They, nah, nah, that's what, one to 13 or something. Uh, it's ridiculous. I, don't know, I mean, economically, I don't know how South Africa's produced any pro surfers. That exchange rate's absolutely fingered. But um, yeah, um, I'm sure those boys. I know that is a really to... good point. Mm, that's a good point. Be, maybe yeah. Rather maybe rather than um, having like a, you know, a prorated value, you could do like more events in places where there are more surfers, or where there's maybe a higher density of quality surfers. So like if Australia has you know twenty <laughs> regional events, then it's not like South that. Africa it's... would have ten. It's not like that. It's all about government support. And that's why there's always been more events in Brazil in that mid-range than there is in Australia. Like the government in Australia, just, they don't have that same level of support for the smaller events. They pump the yep. big events, not the small events. So we have three CTs and not one, like maybe one 3,000 or something. You know what I mean? There's just, it's, there's a huge you know, imbalance there. So it's got, the WSL can say that as much as they want, but unless they're getting people to pay for the events, like Marg's pay for, pays for itself, Brazil pretty much pays for itself. That's why they're there. So, yep. yeah. But Ideally in a perfect world though, okay. you're right. In a perfect world, that would be right. Well, I guess the other thing that they could do is just not take as many surfers from regions that don't have as big or as, you know, quality of a field. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think they already would do that. Yeah, for sure. Like Australia, not just saying it because I'm an Aussie, but they would have to be, you'd have to take more people from Australia. There's just more surfers. Yeah. Um, yeah. So again, the, just like everything else in the world, it seems like today there's a lot of questions yet to be like fully answered, but we will yeah. try to keep track of them as the year goes on because we're hopefully, if nothing catastrophic happens, going to get to do a few more podcasts in the near future, um, which... It, it feels good to be back man I, I know i said it before but um yeah i didn't think that i really like missed it that much but now that we're talking about it I actually like it really just puts a little twinkle in my eye professional yeah, surfing same i'm frothing it's a good uh, hawaii is a good time for australia when you're not there you are up um early in the morning and the sun's coming up here in australia at the moment at 4 30 so get up in the morning have a coffee chuck the surfing on it's pretty oh. sick i am envious man like I forgot how short days could be now that I'm living back in uh on the East coast in the Northeast, man, the sun doesn't come up till like seven and it goes down at four thirty. Like it's, it is unbearable, man. So That's yeah, next level. enjoy, enjoy your summer. Yeah. And I almost completely forgot, but you had your freaking commentating debut at the WSL. Tell me about this and tell me about how basically my entire group thread was saying that you were the best commentator there and you need a full-time job. Oh, fuck. well, that's very, uh, very thoughtful. Very, uh, very kind of all you mates to say that. Thanks boys and girls. Um, it was so fun. It's basically what I do at events anyway, just swan around or fired up on coffee, talking shit about the heats and, and what we think everyone's doing good or bad. And, um i just was strapped up with a live microphone this time which was kind of horrifying but once i had a few little runs at it i think i kind of settled down a bit and talked a bit slower and yeah had, had a really good time i think it's pretty fortunate to get the call up to an event like that um the wsl kind of had their hands tied really with getting um a few other of the more you know 
full timers there, you know, like Ronnie Blakey, Warren Blakey, Richie Lovett, the crew that did the Cabarita comp, they all live in New South Wales. So they actually couldn't come into Queensland at that point. So they were really scraping the bottom of the barrel. I think grabbing, grabbing, grabbing me, they were definitely scraping the bottom of the barrel, but we had some good, some good backup there with like guys like bugs and, um, and Ock and stuff like that. So that was sick. We had such a good time. And, um, I think we got really lucky. Like, I think we had the best regional event of the year, really. Like, the best COVID event, I thought, pretty much by a mile. Um, and Whoa, it, Surf 100? What? WSL event by a mile. Um, and, um, yeah, so I think... Is this going to be something you do more in the future? I, I would like to. I sat down and had a chat with with the, the you know that 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 part of the broadcast team and that, and they they were pretty happy with everyone's performance, given that all of us were pretty fresh, uh, pretty green. So um, it's just Did a matter of give actually, you any tips before you went in. No, nah, I didn't hear from the man himself, but um, I heard that he thought the Aussie events were a bit too Aussie. Is what <laughs> I heard. So oh my god, sorry sorry about that. Uh, we'll oh. try to be less Aussie next time, but um, yeah, yeah. Let's try to be more time. Oprah next time. Yeah, that'd be sick. Um, so no, that was really fun. It was really cool. Um, I, I'd love to get the chance to do it again. All the surfers were so nice to me. I was so scared that like Ethan or someone was just gonna like deadpan me with a few shit answers. But I got, I got, I got a little bit out of most people. Um, um and yeah everyone was everyone was really really pretty uh pretty pretty good with the the chats and i tried my best not to annoy anyone too much like preheat because a lot of them were taking it really serious you know headphones on you know they were getting getting really prepared for the start of the season which at that point didn't look too likely you know you couldn't even travel outside of queensland i'm sitting here looking at these guys going man they should just be taking it easy but what do I know? They were right. They're in Hawaii right now. You know, Ethan, Mikey, Connor, all those guys. So they're all, um, yeah, Wade. It's, it was sick. It was so good. I was frothing. So hopefully I get the chance to do it again. I'd definitely like to. Um, and yeah, just got to, you know, take, take Elo's, I think, criticism on board a little bit with like speaking to a wider audience. You can't be too Aussie slang. But at the same time, I think that you've also got to be yourself. So I've just got to find the balance there. And um, yeah, hopefully get the opportunity to do some more because yeah, I had a good time. Yeah. And I think that the Aussie thing would just even itself out once the world opens up and you're able to bring in, like, I don't think you should be any less quote unquote Aussie. I just think that mm-hmm. maybe if that's how they feel that they should even it out with, you know, a, an American or whatever they want in there. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that yeah. trying to have everybody be some flavor of vanilla is just a recipe for a really bland Sunday. So, um, <laughs> yeah, 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 you need some flair in there for sure. But no, it was it was cool. Um, <laughs> there was like a funny moment, like when we're off air, I was sitting there with bugs, and they're like counting us in to start the heat up again, and they're like, "Okay, you're live," and and bugs was the one like directing the show, and I would just kind of chip in for like a a comment here and there. And they, they wanted like, they wanted like enthusiasm, like heaps of, you know, this is amazing and whatnot. And we're sitting in the chairs and Bugs literally in his quiet little aircon booth, he literally jumps out of his chair and he's like, and we're back at Astro. And I'm like, shit myself, like <laughs> fell on the ground. Like, oh my God, what's happening? Is this bomb get dropped on the roof? <laughs> 
And then he's like, what do you reckon, Stacey? And I'm like, oh, shit. I'm like, yeah, bro, it's yeah, pompous. <laughs> but, yeah, it was awesome to spend time with them. And, like, he's such a good operator. Like, oh, I don't even know how Bugs is. He just had a birthday recently. But, yeah, he's not a young bloke anymore, but he's still full of life. And it was sick fun to hang out with him. Such Did a he uh, win whatever political race he was in? Oh, no, he had a Donald Trump-esque defeat where he won seven of the nine polling booths but lost on, um, oh, I don't know how you'd explain it. Like, he lost on preferences. So I think he won, but the minor parties who he needed to support him ended up supporting the other person who technically lost uh, the thing. But And it's weird because the red team over here and the green team usually buddy up. But in his electorate, the, the green team ended up siding with the blue team, which is not very, not common at all. The Greens. The Greens usually always side with Labor. So, it, yeah, he's calling treason, high treason. Taking him to, taking <laughs> him, a, taking him to court. He wants a recount. <laughs> no, nah, he doesn't want to recount. He's an honourable man. He took defeat on the chin. But, um, yeah, he, um, he had a really good crack and he had a lot of support. It wasn't, a, you know, he, he, he lost, you know, on a technicality. So yeah, him and him and big Donald have something in common. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we'll yeah. end it with that, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's do that. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, Stace. And I'm uh, excited to talk to you post Honolulu and pipe. Hopefully we have something exciting to talk about. I'm sure we will. Yeah. Looking forward to it.